Good morning. Thank you for coming this morning. I want to welcome those who are visiting with us on the internet and uh, to our dungeon dwellers, as I love to call them down there in F3. They keep giving me a hard time about that. <clears throat> I don't know if when you woke up this morning if you realized um, what date it was or not, but uh, it's hard to believe that uh, so many years have gone by since that fateful day, huh? Uh, September 11th. I remember where I was. I remember what I was doing. I remember the shock of it all. Um, but I also remember that uh, in the next months after that, our churches were packed. People were turning to the Lord. They were thinking about Him. <clears throat> but as... Um, often the case with us as people, we forget, don't we? And so that's why we have things like memorials. I love going over to Washington, D.C. and seeing some of the different memorials over there and realizing that there are people who have given their lives for us uh, to be able to enjoy the things that we enjoy, um, to stand for the values that we believe are uh, values worth living for and even dying for. But again, we, we forget those things, don't we, without something that reminds us again and again and again. We're going to be looking into a new series today. Actually, uh, we've got several Sundays when we're laying out some background and that kind of a thing for you, but <clears throat> we want to be talking about uh, this book called the Book of Acts. Some people refer, it to, refer to it as the Acts of the Apostles. Some people refer to it as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, either way, he is working, and he's working through the lives of individuals to accomplish something that we've labeled the triumph of the gospel. When you think about that history, <clears throat> you see how the gospel started there in Jerusalem. The Lord was raised from the dead, and he told them, he gave them a, a job to do. He said, go into all the world and teach them these things, telling them about me, and teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you to do. That's a big task to be involved in. And the book of Acts will help us to, to watch as that begins to um, flow out from Jerusalem and move around the world <clears throat> at that time. <clears throat> excuse me, into the then known world. And ultimately, by the time we get to the end of the book of Acts, we'll see the gospel even in Rome, the very seat of power of the, of the known world at that time. So <clears throat> in preparation for that, we thought it would be good to just uh, lay out some background. <clears throat> excuse me, got something there. To lay out some background for you, and that would be helpful to you as we study uh, through this, we're going to be in this book for a number of months for sure, and uh, hopefully it'll be a thrill and a delight to you as we go. Uh, today, I want to talk with you about the author of this book, and I'll label him as the human author, and wh why I'm saying that is because we believe that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, which means that ultimately God himself is really the author. These are the things that God wants for us to know, <clears throat> the things that he's saying to us, the things that he's written down because he knows as human beings that we have a propensity to forget. And he wants for us to understand these things because they actually have ramification on our very lives today. I hope to draw some of that out for you as we go. But I call him the human author because God works through people. And he is um, uh, using a man by the name of Luke to write down some details for us. 
we want to look at this guy, Luke, and we want to see if there's something about him that will help us as we look into this book, but also that will help us as a person. We call this a character study. Let me move our slides here for you. A character study, meaning that we're looking, we're going we're gonna to look at this individual, and the reason that we're doing that is because we want to see his character. We want to see the qualities of this individual <clears throat> that the Lord has been doing in his life and then learn from them. Maybe it is that the Lord is going to identify for us some things that we need in our lives. Maybe he's going to identify things for us that are similar to that person, and we're going to recognize that God can use that person, therefore he can use me in the same kind of a way. So we're going to look at him briefly here. Now, if you'll turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 1, I want to illustrate for you, first of all, if I can... um, what some of the value that you can get out of a character study before we start talking about Luke. This is just personal for me, just to try to lay out for you and help you get on the same uh, track as me. So if you're in Matthew chapter 1, I want to talk a little bit about Joseph, the the husband of Mary. Again, just as an example of what we're going to be doing here in just a little bit. Are you there? Matthew chapter 1, look in verse 19. Look what it says in regards to this man. It says, then Joseph, her husband being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately or secretly. It tells us something about this guy. The verse before tells us that, excuse me, that he found out that she was pregnant. He's engaged to her, betrothed to be married to her, has a contract with her and her family that he will prepare something for a home and then he will come and get her and then they will be together as man and wife. And he finds out that she's pregnant. And he realizes he's not the daddy. And so this verse brings us then where where he hears this and he understands this. And he decides, you know what, I'm going to break this off. But notice it says there, being a just man. He's someone who is of quality and character. He is not someone who's just, uh, I said it last night. He's the kind of guy that if you're a father of a daughter, you want for a man like him to come and ask you for your daughter's hand in marriage. That's the kind of guy that he is. So the scripture qualifies for us, helps us to understand, helps us to see that it's because he's a just man that he didn't want, he was going to put her away. That was the right thing to do, but he didn't want to do that in a public way. He didn't want to shame her. There was already enough going on as he would assume then in her own life, and he was going to He was going to do things well by her, even though from his perspective, she didn't do well by him. So he was thinking that he would put her away secretly, privately. But then it says, but while he thought about these things, if you remember in the series that I had been teaching before, our thinking determines our attitude, which determines our actions, right? So thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, So look at this. You see it. He actually, it says, while he thought about these things. Aren't you glad for a little introspection, a little uh, circumspection, a little consideration? Well, that gave him a moment, a moment to consider. And it says, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine if Mary would have been the one to say that? Uh, Excuse me there, Joseph. I know this little bump that you're seeing here. (laughs) 
like I'm pregnant, but uh, just so you know, this is of God. Like which one of us would believe that one, right? I don't think so. I don't think so. We know how this works, don't we? And you can say all you want, but there's a bridge in Brooklyn that I'll sell to you as well. But when the angel appears to him and tells him these things, he says to her, or he says to Joseph, rather, that that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then notice in verse 25, it tells us, and he did not know her, he didn't have uh, relations with her, until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and then it clearly and distinctly states, and he called his name Jesus, just like the angel told him to do. Now you say, what's the point of this, Tim? Why in the world would you tell us that? Well, this is one of the things about a character study. If you look into the uh, subject of Joseph, he's a small character. He's one that you could do real quickly. Like uh, Moses, he would be one that would take forever if you started out with him. But if you started out with Joseph, you would find just a few references about him. One that we just read. You would also find that that, uh, immediately then he takes the family after the birth of Christ. He takes the family down in Egypt because he's led again by the Lord to do that, right? An angel appears to him again. And, he, and he's willing to do that. I don't know about you, but like it's fresh in my mind what a move is like. And I don't like moving. But here he's moving. And it's a whole different environment for him than it was for me. So he's a faithful man. He's doing what God tells him to do. And he's looking after his family. And he's considered of all these things. Then we find him coming back into the nation of Israel again after a few years down in Egypt. Then we find him recorded when Jesus was about 12 years of age and they went up to Jerusalem and Jesus disappeared for a few days. Remember, as the family traveled away and they went, uh-oh, where is Christ? Where is Jesus? I thought he was with you. No, I thought we actually left one of our daughters <laughs> at a place for about 45 minutes till the police stopped us and told us that. We kind of get the feel for that one ourselves. <clears throat> I know you guys like, oh, yeah, some of you have done that too, I think. <clears throat> or some of you have been left, I've talked to. you know that. You know how that's like, right? You get a sense of this. You get a feel for this. Well, the way it began to impact me is one time I was reading about Christ uh, on Calvary, and uh, I was reading that portion where he looks down and he says, Mom, here's your son. And he's considering John there. And he says, John, here's your mom. And he's basically saying, Mom, you look to him. He's going to take care of you. John, you take care of my mom, right? And from then on, she moved into the house of John, and he cared for her. And at first, I thought, well, wait a minute here. He has brothers. Like, why would he give the care of his mom to John? There's something about John that we can learn in that, too, just so you know. And then as I thought further on that, I thought, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where's Joseph? Why isn't he here? And when I read these kinds of verses and I think about the character that I'm, that I'm learning about Joseph, I realize if he would have been alive, I believe he would have been there. So I can't prove this to you from the Bible, but I think that Joseph had passed on. I think that he was gone. It was common for an older man to marry a younger woman, so his age probably of that day would have been older than her and, and would have naturally come to that end sooner than hers. What does that mean for me? I was thinking about this right after my own dad passed away. I was 26 years of age. 
And it was about a year and a half process of from diagnosis to death. So it wasn't like it was a startling thing to us. But all of a sudden, I'm without my father. And I missed him. And I wished that I could talk to him. I wished that I could ask him things that was so common for us to do. And I knew that the Lord was gracious to me. I still remember being at the memorial service. And I remember sitting there and listening to some of the things that were being said. And knowing, God, you are so gracious to me. You'll care for me. I knew that. It wasn't like there was a doubt in my heart. But God, just in his grace, I believe, as I was studying out Joseph realized, you know what, it is very likely that my Savior not only knew as God, but now knows also as a human what it means to lose a loved one. Death was all around him. He would have seen that all the time. But in this particular case, it's possible that he lost his own earthly father. And what does that mean to him? Well, what it meant to me was it accentuated what it says in Hebrews, that he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. That in every way he is experiencing things that are common to humans and has a a care and a concern for us. And And it just brought some warmth, so to speak, to that. So that's some of what a character study can do. It can, it can encourage our hearts. It can also build us up. It can strengthen us in that moment. It can also teach us. We can look at different individuals and we can see some of the things that they learn and that they grow in. So for my own uh, sake, I've done studies like on Peter. He's such a character. I've watched him as I would read through uh, the, the stories about him how this guy was chosen by the Lord to be a disciple, some of the things that he did, some of the things that came out of his mouth that were so astounding. Where will we go, Lord? For you have the words of life, right? That's amazing what he would say. Why would we leave you? And yet this is also the same guy like, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. How's that? That was pretty pathetic. Maybe I should take another drink. Right? The same guy. This is the same guy who, like, like, I'm done with this. I'm going fishing. I'm done. That wasn't like I'm getting my fishing pole and I'm going to, no, I'm, it's over. And he's drawing a bunch of other guys who are disciples with him. And so the Lord says, hey, do you love me, Pete? Then feed my sheep. Oh, Lord, you know that, and here's where he uses a different word. You know I phileo, brotherly love you, but he won't, he won't respond, I agape love you. And the Lord in his grace to him at the end says, you know what, Pete, I understand all of that. There's going to come a day when you're going to go places where you don't want to go. You're going to be taken there, and there's going to come a day that you're going to die for me. Indicating that even though right now, Peter, you don't have confidence to answer me the way that I'm asking you, I'm going to be at work in your life down through the days here where there's going to come a time when you're going to give your life for me. That's going to change. And so when I read through Peter and I see all of this craziness of his life and I see craziness in my life, I can find encouragement that, hey, God can use a guy like him. God can use a guy like me. We just went through the study of Ruth. Do you remember that? We just saw a woman of godly character. There's another person that you can study. And you can go through multiple ones. Do you know there was a guy named Jacob? And by the way, his name means deceiver. And that's exactly how he functioned. And yet his name eventually was changed to Israel because he wrestled with God. And you can go through and you can study out a guy named Paul. And you can find out that he was once a blasphemer. And now he's actually preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. Amazing stories that you can see. 
Well, so it is with Luke. And we want to turn our attention to him as the author of this particular book that we're going to be studying. Now, you need to know some details about him, some things I think that are important. Uh, First of all, uh, Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, he tells us that um, Luke was a physician. He describes him with that. And that's helpful to us, at least in a couple senses. One is that we're going to see his character and how he in, engages with Paul as we go through this letter. <clears throat> but we also know that as a doctor, he has certain skills to be able to assess, to diagnose, to look at details and figure things out and, and draw a conclusion on that, right? That's what we hope our doctors are doing. They're figuring things out. Well, God uses this person of Luke and the personality that he has as well and the details of his personality to enhance what he's trying to do through this instrument called Luke. We are going to see some details in this book of Acts that are only found in the book of Acts. We're going to find that he starts off the letter of Luke And he also starts off the letter of Acts. He wrote both of those books. We're going to find out that he does so in order to teach a guy named Theophilus. And as he's writing to him, he says, listen, I've I've looked into these things. I've, I've considered the details. I know the facts on this. In the book of Luke, as you read through that, in the beginning, he records the birth of Christ. Do you remember that story? In our home, we read that every Christmas, just to remind our family, this is what we're celebrating right here. But he tells us some details that a doctor would be looking at. And he uses some terms that are doctor terms. And he tells us some details that are only found in that particular book of Luke. Amazing stuff that we learn. Because he pays attention to that. And he writes these to Theophilus and he says, I want to write these things so that you can have a certainty about the things that you believe in. Now it doesn't mean that he's trying to take away Theophilus' opportunity to trust God. He's just saying that according to Hebrews, faith has evidence to it. We're not blind. It's not like, okay, don't worry, I'm not going to. It's not like, oh, I'm going to step off blindly, close my eyes and step off and hope there's another step here. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about faith has something solid under our feet. So God is using this man, Luke, to write two books. And we're going to see some qualities. Let me talk about these real quick here with you. The first one that I noticed as I was studying this out and and trying to consider what, what are things that are pertinent about this individual, what I came to a conclusion was that I believe he's a very humble man. There's humility here in this guy. Why do I think that? Well, as with all character studies, there are some things that the scriptures will blatantly state for us and we'll know something about them. And then there's other things that we'll learn as we go through that. For example, going back to Peter, people often describe him as impetuous. Why? Because they see moments where it's like, oh, he just blurts out. He's in the Mount of Transfiguration. Hey, I know what we should do. Let's build a booth for all you three, right? And the Lord says, the Father says, uh, 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 this is my son. You listen to him, right? Kind of, oh, okay. Well, that was a little stupid of me to say then, right? And we, and we can identify then with that. Well, the same thing here now with Luke. We're drawing out some conclusions as we, as we read and learn about him. So some things that have caused me to think that there's real humility in this individual is when Luke writes both of his letters, 
he does not identify himself. Now, I'm not saying that the other authors, Paul or, or John or whoever, Matthew or whoever would write one of those letters, that they were all proud and full of themselves. I'm just saying that there was something going on for Luke where he did not feel it was necessary to identify himself as he wrote those. I think that speaks about the individual. I think that says something about his heart and how he views himself and how he understands God and his relationship to God. But beyond that, then, as we'll go through the book of Acts, you watch this in chapter 16, all of a sudden, subtly, it's inserted a little pronoun called we. Pronouns matter, just so you know. <laughs> and we realize that Luke has just inserted himself into the letter. He's been describing in the book of Acts, he picks it up after the um, resurrection of Christ, and he lays out the ascension of the Lord and what the Lord decreed, how he commanded, this is what you're supposed to do. You wait here in Jerusalem until the Spirit of God will get through all of this stuff as we go. Just stick with us, all right? And then he's going to start showing the gospel as it moves. And, and eventually a guy named Paul comes on the scene and how he's involved in all of this too. And now Paul is on his second journey and he comes through a little town called Troas and he picks up a guy named Luke. And Luke becomes part of the narrative. And he just moves that so subtly by saying, and then we. And you realize he's now not recounting details that he has learned. I wondered clear back with uh, the birth of Christ if he ever sat down with Mary or maybe he sat down with some of the, the uh, shepherds and said, hey, tell me about that night. What was that like for you when you were out there in the fields and you were keeping watch over your flock and all of a sudden this light shone and all of a sudden you're seeing angels? What was that like for you guys? Oh, and wait, wait, let me get that down, right? Write that down. As he's writing these things, you realize that he's writing at a time when the, when the people of those events, by and large, were still alive. They could have said, hey, that, you, that's not right. You've got to retract that. You've got to rewrite that. Right? So, so he's writing things down with accuracy. And so he tells us then, I'm joining together with Paul, and this is what went on. He goes with him on his third journey as well. He also goes with him into Rome when Paul is taken as a prisoner. Luke is there with him. So there's real humility. <clears throat> Small detail, did you realize that Luke wrote more of the New Testament than the Apostle Paul? When you look at the number of books, you, you'd be fooled into thinking, wait, Paul wrote more. He wrote more letters. But as far as percentage of the New Testament, Luke actually wrote 27.5%. Why do I know that fact? I don't know. More than a quarter of the New Testament is written by this individual Luke. But most of us don't even know that. Right. He, he's, he's flying under the radar. There, there's no presumption on his part. There's humility. <clears throat> the next thing that I notice with Luke is that there's a faithfulness or a devotion and friendship that you'll see in, in this man. Philemon, the letter to Philemon, as Paul writes this, Paul actually describes him in Philemon as a co-laborer. He's someone who is linked up with me, joined together with me. He's a partner in all of this. He cares about what's going on, and so that he's a co-laborer. That means work is involved, right? That word laborer tells us that there's effort that's going on. <clears throat> when Paul then was taken prisoner, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, as Paul is writing his last letter, he actually says, 
and Luke only is with me. Now, to me, that's significant because the verse in front of it tells us that a man named Demas, who, if you study him out, you'll find out he's been a partner with Paul as well. But in the verse before this, in in, uh, 2 Timothy, he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. The things of this world he's gone after, and he's let go now. But Luke only is with me. That tells us something about the faithfulness of this individual. He was faithful to go down into the details and write the two letters that he's writing. And thank God that he did, because we now have an understanding of some of these things. And just as we need that letter to tell us again and again, historically, just like we need the memorials that we have in our history of our nation, right? We forget. And there's value to all of that. The next thing that I found in regards to this man, Luke, is that he is a man of prayer. Why do I say that? Because in the study of the book of Luke, I found that there's eight prayers that Luke records that are unique to his gospel. They're not found in any other gospel. It tells me that he's paying attention to this. I illustrate it like this. Um, When you buy a new vehicle, right, all of a sudden you see that vehicle on the road. Before, like I have a Honda CRV, I didn't care what about CRVs till my brother said, hey, I got this CRV. It's a really cool car. You ought to think about those. Okay. So I start looking into it. Yeah, that'll be the next car. I'm going to get one of those. Now I'm seeing them everywhere, right? Because I've been alerted to that. I need a Corvette or a, right, Larry, a Corvette, something like that. I can pay attention to those. Well, I think that was happening with Luke. I think Luke, because of a heart that cared to pray, wants to record, hey, I want to tell you about this one, and and, hey, here's another one. Hey, uh, and I think, again, the Spirit, Luke, you tell him that. You tell him that one too. Why? Because these things are important. These are things that I want recorded for all of eternity. Luke, write them down. A man of prayer. He's also described as beloved. In that same passage in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, when when Paul tells us that he's a physician, he qualifies it with the term beloved. He's the beloved physician. What that means is that somebody cared about him. There was something about his character, his quality, his heart that drew people to him. And as you go through his his, uh, two letters, what you find is recordings about people who are the outcasts. I say it that way because that's not how God sees them, but that's how the world sees them. He writes more about women. He writes more about children. He writes more about leprosy and medical issues. He writes more about the people who are on the, on the edges of the society. And he speaks of them well. And it tells me something about his heart. And no wonder then he's called the beloved physician. There are some doctors that we might go to and we would use a term, a bedside manner. And we would rate that doctor and we would say, well, he really has a good bedside manner, bedside manner, but he doesn't, right? She is so comforting and encouraging in the diagnosis that she gives, but, but this doctor over here, oh, you want him for surgery, but not for the bedside manner. That would never be described of Luke. Luke not only was a physician, but he was beloved. That means he had a great bedside manner. It speaks something of his heart is what it does. Now, lastly, I would say this. I would summarize him as what it tells me about Luke is that Luke was a disciple. Luke was a disciple. He was a follower of Jesus Christ. 
He decided to, to set aside his, his vocation, not in totality, because I believe that God used that. I believe that God used that both in the skills that he had learned, the observation skills. I think that God actually was using him, in a sense, as a personal uh, physician to the Apostle Paul, right? Right there for him, right there to care for him. I think that all of that was happening. But more important than anything else to Luke was that he was following God and he was giving of himself to the Lord. And that meant through hardship and difficulties as well. And so he's on the boats with Paul and he's in the places where, where the crowds are going mad about them. And, and he's in danger just as much as anybody else on that team. He's a team player. He's working with Paul, Silas, Timothy, all of these individuals, but he's a follower of God, and he loves him. Mike was uh, referencing to me this morning, which I hadn't even thought of. Thank you, Mike, for this. He said, you know what, Tim? Not only was he a disciple, he was also a discipler. As the pastor of discipleship, that just catches my attention. Thank you, Mike, for saying that. How does he know that? Why? He took effort to write to an individual and make sure that individual understood some things. He was discipling him. And do you know that he actually is a mentor of you? I don't know if you ever thought of that. All of these authors, as they wrote these things down, they in essence become your mentor. They teach you. They're discipling you. They pass that on. <clears throat> these are wonderful qualities about this particular individual. Now, why do we want to see that kind of stuff? Why do we care about this with Luke? <clears throat> well, I believe that Luke demonstrates to us that God can use us in ways that we never dreamed possible. I don't think that when Luke was growing up that he thought that someday I will be on a team, uh, evangelical, uh, evangelistic, um, church planning team. Woohoo! I can't wait to do that. I don't think that's what he was thinking. I don't think he ever thought, you know, i got to pay the bills, so I'm going to become a doctor, but real, what I really want to be is a historian. The scholars who go through this from the perspective of, of history, they tell us that he is exemplary as a historian. He's factual. He's accurate. It's not like today's history when they're, everybody's trying to, to morph it and move it to fit their narrative. He's saying, listen, I believe it's important for us to understand these, these, these facts. So I'm going to do a careful study of them. I'm going, to, I'm going to look into those things, and then I'm going to record those for you. <clears throat> and in doing so, he shows us that God can use us in ways. Maybe we're a physician. But is that the way that God wants to use us? Possibly. But what if he wants to use us in a different way? What if he wants to take how he, has, how he has developed me as a person and the personality that I have and the qualities that he's working out, what if he wants to use all of those in a specific way that glorifies him, just like he's done with Luke? And so we become <clears throat> encouraged as we see these things. Well, what can we expect to see in this book of Acts as we go into this? <clears throat> We're going to see what I call a microcosm of the church. We're going to see what I call the first chapter in the history of the church. We're going to, it's going to be recorded to us <clears throat> the events from Jerusalem, as I said, all the way to Rome. We're going to see God at work. We're going to see God 
telling some people, this is what I want you to do, and them taking him at his word, and we're going to see him uh, use them to, to, to push, to move the gospel, the triumph of the gospel, to overcome the things of this world. <clears throat> the book of Acts is more historical than it is theological. It's not that you can't, can't find truth in it. We'll, we'll note this as we go through. But it's not like Luke is writing this so that you understand like what we just read in Ephesians of that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing and that's a theological truth for us that we, that we revel in. Luke is instead telling us a story and as he tells us that story and weaves that narrative, we're going to start seeing things about God through all of that. We're going to see that the gates of hell cannot prevail against him. We're going to see that the, that the gospel actually goes so far that it's part of even Caesar's household, according to a letter written by Paul. Amazing stuff. We're going to see believers who are going to fail. We're going to see believers who are selfish and, and self-centered. We're going to see believers who give of themselves and their property. We're going to see God at work in people's lives. We're going to see miracles happen. We're going to see all kinds of things that are going to tell us what an awesome God he is. But it's all just the first chapter. It's just the first chapter. <clears throat> it's interesting to me that um, as God is at work uh, orchestrating our moments like this, the things that he lays on my heart, he lays on the worship team's heart or on Phil's heart or whatever. And all of us reading from Ephesians. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 says this, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Why am I throwing that verse out here in the midst of talking about Luke and talking about Acts? Because the book of Acts is going to give us that first chapter. We're going to see God at work. And what we're going to learn from that is that's how God continues to work all throughout the church age and all throughout history. That God is purposeful. There's an intent. You're going to see a journey of the gospel is what you're going to see. But that's only to the then known world. But that's not all that he said to do. He said to go into all the world. And so that journey has still been continuing on. There are people who even we're supporting right now. People who the gospel, they're taking the gospel into places where it's never been told before, right? That's still in process over 2,000 years after it's been stated to us as a church. But God, according to this verse, it says that in the dispensation, the season, the time of the fullness of times, when all of it comes together, in other words, he says he might gather together in one all things in Christ. That's what God's doing right now. He, he's, he's, he's bringing this around. Oh, we see it in the book of Acts. But guess what? As we go down through church history, we see him continuing to do that. And he's presently at work right now. You can have confidence based on what you're seeing God do in the book of Acts and the believers in Acts. You can have confidence that he wants to use you in that same regard. All part of it, bringing it all together. And it's, he says in the, in the dispensation of the fullness of times. We are in what we call the dispensation of grace or the church age. That is going to end... When the trumpet sounds and we're raptured out of here. But there will still be other times. 
The tribulation is going to have to happen. The millennial reign is going to have to happen. That's a thousand years that he'll reign. All of these different seasons of time are being brought together, one after another after another, collected together, so that they're gathered together in one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. It's all going to come back to him. That's what God's doing. That's why we want to look at history, not because we're history buffs, not because we like a good story, but because God is telling us something. He wants for us to understand so that we'll trust him. Because ultimately, people, ultimately, the character study that we would do of an individual is ultimately to see Christ. It's ultimately for him to be raised up. This is what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, that in all things, he may have the preeminence. We're not interested in character studies. We're not interested in history for the sake of history or for the sake of learning about Joseph or learning about Luke or learning about Ruth or learning about Peter. We're not interested in that just strictly for that. We're interested in all of those things because they tell us something about God. And if we're missing that, then they just become history lessons to us. But God knows our frame. He knows what we need. Aren't you grateful for that? And so he gives these things to us. So I say that to you so that as we go through this letter, as we we read through this, we position, mentally position ourselves in such a way, God, what do you want to say to me out of this? So that I don't just come here and I sit after the third month and go, Oh my word, we're still in the book of Acts? Are you kidding me? When are we going to get done with this? Enough already, moving it on. No, we're going to be saying, okay God, what is it you're going to tell me today as, as the story is woven, right? As the thread is just, is just put through there and, and we see you and we go, oh my Do you know that there's going to be a gate that's going to go open wide and there's going to be a dude that's going to, hey, get up. His name is Peter. Come on. And he's going to walk out of that gate, that prison gate, and he's going to wake up and he's going to go, well, I guess I'm not dreaming. I'm actually out here on this street. Are you kidding me? And he's going to go up to a door where all of them are inside praying and he's going to knock on that door and there's going to a woman come and she's going to, oh my word, it's Peter. He's out here. You wouldn't believe it. And the people who are praying for his release are going to go, <laughs> are you kidding me? On one hand, they're praying to God for a miracle, and the miracle is right out inside, outside the door, and they can't even believe it. Is that crazy? Can you identify with that? I sure can. I've asked God for things, and then they've shown up on my doorstep, and it's like I don't trust them for it. I don't believe it. And it's been a rebuke to my heart. Tim, you were asking me for this. Look what I've done. Above all that you could ask or think. Oh, God, I'm such a fool sometimes because I say these things, but I don't really believe that you're going to do it. And he just gently rebukes my heart so that I'll trust him more and more. Peter's outside the door. This is mind-blowing. Why is Peter out there when some of these guys are being killed? In fact, that story that we're going to see, one of the apostles was killed And Peter's thrown into prison because Herod thinks, hey, everybody likes the fact that I killed this guy, inferring, I'm going to do the same thing to Peter. And out he comes. Amazing, right? Story after story after story that tell us the awesomeness of God. 
So come along with us, will you? Let's get together, let's read through this letter, and let's see what God has to say to us. He might speak to our hearts, that he might use us in our little window of time as he brings together all things himself, ultimately so that he might have the preeminence in it all. Let's pray. Father, I haven't even done justice to the letter of Acts nor to the character called Luke. Father, I pray that uh, if there's benefit, and there is, to us in studying him, that we would individually take some time to go look into that. Or that as we go through this letter of, of Acts, that we would try to put ourselves in the perspective of the writer and, and see, as he's writing these things down, see through his eyes what, what he's recording Thank you so much for putting the details in it. Thank you for picking a, an individual to be the instrument, the author, who cares about details. He's not just giving us a big picture, he's digging down into it. And as we go into those details, we can't help but come away with an awe, an amazement of who you are. So, Father, we look forward to this. I pray for uh, those who will be teaching this they'll be able to represent and explain well that we would be able to understand so that again, Father, that in all things your Son might have the preeminence for he is truly worthy of that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.